We've been going through the attributes of God. We've paused uh, the book of Colossians just for a little while. We've done the wrath of God last, last time. And what a, what a sober reminder it is for us to realize who this God that we worship. Amen. Today we will continue with the attributes and we'll be looking into the mercy of God. The mercy of God. And when we understand the depth and the richness of mercy, it wouldn't be too hard for us to conclude that to us who are sinners by nature and even by our actions and deeds, mercy is a flower that adorns the throne, the sovereign throne of God. It's the brilliant diamond that beautifies the crown of God as he interacts with his creation. I want to give you a biblical illustration to help you to understand the significance of this attribute. This attribute is so important that in the Old Testament, for thus, for those of us who know the temple of God, the temple, out of all places in the temple, God chose the Holy of Holies to be his dwelling place. And in the Holy of Holies, there was the, this Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God. And what lay above this Ark of the Covenant, this golden cover, um, it's called the Mercy Seat. Not um, the Sovereign Seat, not the Just Seat or um, Holy Seat, but the Mercy Seat. Why? What does this mean? It is as to say that as we approach this holy, sovereign judge of the world, with our faces bowed and our knees and hands touching the ground, the only way to approach this God is by relying on His mercy. And we come to Him knowing that all mercy flows out of him. Psalm 136 verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Why is he good? Why? How does he manifest his goodness? It says, for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 89 verse 1 in New King James Version says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Let me put it in another way. So we see things into perspective. God's omnipotence, it would lead us to be in awe of Him. His sovereignty leads us to rest in Him. His wrath, as we looked at last week, is to fear Him. But no attribute of God that would really propel us above the cloud. And we find ourselves, as per Psalm 89 verse 1, to sing praises and thankfulness. No other attribute that would energize sinful people as ourselves to exalt a holy God more than the mercy of God. Is your soul thirsty for that? I want to invite you this morning to come and drown yourself into God's mercies. 
Why? What does it all mean? What does mercy mean? Mercy is an old, rich word, and it speaks of strong emotion coming from God's inner being. It shows um, the intensity of God's love and His concern for sinners like us. Now, there are many words uh, that are translated to the English word mercy, but the closest one is a Hebrew word that is called rachamim. And it means tender, affection, compassion, pity. It's, it's God's compassion to the brokenhearted. And it speaks of a personal care for the need of others. Now, furthermore, um, the Old Testament saints, they love this character of God because to them it meant that God would look down from heaven into their miserable, sinful condition and their guilt and they would see in the light of God's mercy that he actually feels sorry for their condition. And it would mean further and beyond that, that God desires to deliver them. That's why they loved it. Book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, it says this, O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against you. And as we come to the New Testament and study this uh, word mercy, we find that God pulled the veil on his character to reveal more of its beauty. And we find, for example, in 1 Peter 1.3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. Not only does God deliver, but He regenerates and He indwells us because of His great mercy. Now, whether Old or New Testament, there is no time where our God did not beautify himself with his character. This character of God is so glorious, extravagantly rich. And it's like a splendid, multifaceted diamond once again. And this mercy, when we understand it, we realize it. we turn it around and we find that there's so much brilliance in its every side, a complex beam of light that all cannot be contained by just one glance of it. We need to go into depth to understand the extent of God's mercy, that complexity of this wonderful character of God. In fact, translators of the Bible, they had to employ so many words to describe this wonderful truth of God's mercy. 
And I get confused depending on what translation you read. And even in the same translation, sometimes they speak of God's mercy as his favor. Other times his grace, his goodness, his his steadfastness, pity, loving kindness. The leading, perhaps, in the expression of the Bible is God's compassion. This intense emotion coming from the depth of God's essence, His being. And it compels Him to be actively involved with His creation that was devastated because of sin. Okay, let's wrap it up before we go deeper and give you the outline. Let's just give an out, a definition of this word mercy. What does it mean for God to be merciful? Well, as I have come to think about it and try to condense everything in order to define, I came with three different definitions. They're kind of similar, but I thought I'll just share them, the three definitions with you. This is what I gathered. God's mercy is the heart of God, motivated by the compassion of God to forgive a broken, hurting sinner. Another definition could be, it's the lips of the love of God graciously touching the wounded souls of men. Or the mercy Is the arms of God's love wrapped tightly around the broken sinner as he throws his full weight upon Christ? Now I'm going to unpack it for you in, in, in two points. When we speak of mercy, there are two kinds of mercy in the scripture. And we have to be very careful not to confuse the two with each other. There is the first one that is a general mercy. General mercy applies to all creation. And the second is sovereign mercy. That only applies to those who come to Christ. General mercy. That is God's mercy towards his creation. We read in Psalm 145, verse 9, the Lord is good to all, right? To all. And his mercies are over all his creation. Because God is good, and oh, is he pleasant, is he pleasantly good? He's generously good. And an expression of his goodness is that God showers all, not some, not most, but all of his creation with his mercies. His general mercy is not just over the believers. No, it extends and it reaches and he wraps his arms around all of God's creation, all unbelievers included. We all know that mankind, by nature, they all hate God. On every turn, they don't want God. They're not interested in Him. They deliberately rebel against Him and they disobey Him. 
Every last unbeliever, every single one of them, if they could, they would spit on God's face. Whether they feel like it or not, whether they realize it or not, that is the condition of every unbeliever. And yet, it is God who feels with sorrow towards his fallen creation. As he moves with pity towards those who even hate him. So to be sure, his justice compels him to be wrathful. That's in one hand. But God's goodness compels him to be merciful. And so, the one that the world hates is the very same one by his mercy that is holding his wrath from destroying them. What a God that is worthy of praise. When God said to Adam, the soul that sin will die shall die, Adam sinned. Well, why didn't God smite him? Why didn't God send a lightning bolt and strike him and his wife dead on the spot? Why? God moved with sorrow. He made a way out for them to escape. He gave them a promise. And what was the promise? The seed of the woman will crush a serpent's head. This is mercy. And even centuries later, God saw, and the scripture says, every thought in the heart of man was continually evil. A holy God cannot stand that. And let me give you perspective so you understand the depth of this. Imagine you get a glass of crystal clear water. Then you get a rotten, decayed food. Then you drop it in this water and then you stir it. How would you feel if someone would give you a drink, offers you a drink of that glass to drink? You feel disgusted, right? Now multiply that 10 million times more, and that's how much God abhors evil. And it wasn't only a city that was consumed with this evil, it's the whole world. And do you know how long God waited patiently before he flooded the earth? 120 long years. Why? Why delay judgment? Why wait for even one minute? Oh, the mercy of our God. He lets the wicked man live yet for another day. And what did he do throughout 120 years? He led Noah to be a preacher of righteousness so people would repent. He told them to build an ark and it took 120 years in order to show a sign of what is to come. That's God's mercy. Even when Christ came and he scanned people around him, what did he see? He saw sheep lost without a shepherd. And what did he do? The scripture tells us he moved with compassion. His intestine like turned within him. And in Intense, heartfelt response with pity to the troubled and restless world. And then later on, when he saw the world going blind, 
world in, in, in his evil darkness, thirsty and trying to grow for true peace, unable to find rest in him, what did he do? You see him weeping over Jerusalem. He sobs. He cries like a little baby. Because he wants them to come to him. When the Roman soldiers later on crucified him, and while they were hammering away and nailing the Son of God, and the whole world was crying out, crucify this man. Did he say, don't you know who I am? I'm the righteous God. I will cast you to hell right this moment. No, he didn't. He didn't. What happened? Look how rich and vast and breathtaking the mercy of God is. Because Jesus looked into their souls. And what did he see? While they were cursing him, he saw lost, ignorant sinners. And he prayed for them. And he said, oh, Father, would you forgive them? Would you save them? Can you imagine this moment? Hatred collides with love. Cursing collides with mercy. Can you, can you imagine the angels in heaven that would be pulling their feathers out of their wings in frustration? They would say, what is going on? Jesus, they're, they're sinners. They're, they're beasts. The bloodthirsty animals. They hate you. They want you for dead. They want to drink your blood. But Jesus would look at the Father and he'd say, overlook their sin. That they have no idea what they're doing. Brothers, have you heard of such mercy anywhere in the world? I challenge you, read history of any nation you will never find his diamond anywhere except in the heart of jesus friends unbelievers in this room i want to tell you if it wasn't for god's mercy you would have died last night in your sleep and there is nothing you would have done to stop it there is no reason why God would give you yet another breath this moment except for his mercy. Is he not good? Is he not good to you? Now, as we come to the end of this point, I do want to mention a misconception lest we misunderstand and therefore misapply this wonderful attribute of God. Some unbelievers in their ignorance, they have this false hope. And they may even come to this church for quite some time. And they may um, disagree with what I'm about to say, but internally in the very depth of their soul, because they're suppressing the truth, they have this misconception and they think, oh, it'll be okay. 
I'll continue to chase after this world. And when I die, surely God will have mercy on me. He's such a merciful God. I want to remind you of such a heart-piercing passive verse in the scripture that we read last week in Ezekiel. It says, I, the Lord, have spoken. It is coming and I will act. I will not relent. I will not pity. I will not be sorry. According to your ways and according to your deeds, I will judge you, declares the Lord God. That is to say, God's general mercy has an end date. Has an end date. There will be no mercy extended to unbelievers beyond the grave. This general mercy is an expression of God's goodness. It's only just an expression of His goodness as He interacts with sinful people just for the time being. But the time will come when this mercy will expire and God will no longer pity the sinful men who never put their trust in Christ. In other words, this general mercy is not intended for you to take it for granted and prolong your stay in sin. No. It's intended for you to know that no matter how far you've gone in sin, there is hope for you if you come to Christ. God's mercy means that God is sincere. He's genuine. He genuinely pities you in sin. And He's eager for you to come to Christ so He would heal you and wash you clean from your sin. That's general mercy. Now we we go over now to the second point and that is God's sovereign mercy. Sovereign mercy. Now, this is the real thing. This type of mercy is within the heart of God in His very essence. And the object of this breathtaking attribute is those who will come to Christ. God's people. And only God's people. Why? Where do we get that from? Romans 9 verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. In other words, this mercy certainly is exclusive. This implies that this mercy will only be given to some people, just one group of people. What do we understand out of this? Well, it means that God is in charge of deciding who would be the object of this mercy. God is not obliged to show this kind of mercy by anything outside of himself, as though there is something above God that would control God. Nothing. Nothing would have any influence on that will of God. What God does, he does freely. Because he is the only one that is free. He does everything according to his own purpose and pleasure. 
And what is his pleasure? If you're thirsty to come to Christ, and those among us who already come to Christ, what is God's pleasure? It is to drown you in his mercy. His delight is to be merciful to all those that come to Christ through him, to pity them, to be compassionate toward them, to be kind to them. So God is who he is, a kind and merciful God to every lost sinner that lays his hand upon the feet of Jesus. How different is this mercy from the first one? Well, as I told you earlier, God's mercy is like a multifaceted diamond. Let's turn it around and understand and enjoy, delight and exalt that God of mercy. What we're going to do is we're going to look at five different aspects of this sovereign mercy that God wants to shower his people with. First, it's salvific. It is a saving mercy. And by the way, those five facets, if you like, there is a degree of overlapping, of course. And so they carry over from one to the other. Salvific or saving mercy. Titus chapter 3 verse 5, it says, He saved us. Okay, great. He saved us. Based on what? Did God save us? Based on how good we are? He looked deep into our souls and he found how beautiful and cute and cuddly we are? (laughs) He says, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. Not us. Or on what basis? But according to his mercy. So when God saves an individual, it has nothing to do with the individual. It's all of God's doing. It's based on God's mercy. Another, nothing other than God's own pity for miserable sinners like us. That causes God to save us. Which implies it's an undeserving mercy. So that's the second thing. Second aspect of this sovereign mercy, it's undeserving. What does it mean, undeserving? It means it's it's not merited. It's not earned. If this mercy was earned, it would be no longer, it would cease to be called mercy. Let me give you a, a little story to help you understand what I mean. Long ago, there was a king, like everybody, like every other king. He, this king had bodyguards, <clears throat> and one of them fell asleep during his duty. What is the punishment when you fall asleep as a bodyguard for the king during your duty? Punishment is death. So, the king, when he found out about this bodyguard, that he was unfaithful in his duty. This king was angry with him, and he said to him, you've been disloyal to me. You must die according to the law. In the meanwhile, the mother of this bodyguard found out her heart was broken. 
And so with much tears and anguish of the heart, she wrote uh, a letter to the king and she said, I know how irresponsible my son was, but I beg you, king, hear the anguish of a broken mother that is about to lose her child. I have one request. Please have mercy upon my son. Let him free. In which the king replied to her and said, Your son doesn't deserve mercy. He broke the law. He deserves punishment. On the mother, she read this response and she wisely responded back to the king and said, Your most excellent king, I understand that my son doesn't deserve mercy. If he did, I wouldn't be begging for it. Mercy can only be exercised upon those that are precisely don't deserve it. You get this? The mercy of God is only given to those who don't deserve it. Or else it would cease to be mercy. Paul, the Apostle Paul, took this concept. And applied it to himself, to his salvation. And he says in 1 Timothy 1.13, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy. And he's going, he's having flashback. His life before Christ. Saul, his name was Saul before he was converted. And he was a venomous serpent, relentlessly attacking and destroying the followers of Jesus. And Paul here in these verses is basically saying, my heart was a storm of hatred. I wanted to unleash chaos, terror upon Christians. And even after seeing Stephen's murder, consenting to it, and he saw Stephen's face bright, like a shining with brilliance. Yet his heart was hardened. He was dried up with compassion. As he kind of sang in his verse, I grew more aggressive. And I became a notorious persecutor. Yet God didn't, didn't say to me, I'm through with you, Saul. He didn't. He looked at my evil and how wicked I was. And he never said to me, oh, you've gone beyond a point where you're no longer savable. No. What happened? While my hands are stained with the blood of Christians, he saw me and he felt sorry for me. He moved with pity towards me. And what did he do? He saved me. And though I'm a chief of all sinners, he counted me worthy to be an apostle. Undeserving 
mercy. Brothers, consider how much of rebellious thugs we were before God had mercy on us. Were we not by nature children of wrath, just like others are? And did we not walk according to the course of this world? Ephesians 2, directed by the devil to do his will. If there's anything that we deserve, what would it be? other than being banished to hell. And yet God felt this deep sorrow for us. He he saved us. And even now, brothers, let's just be honest and reflect. Even now, in our stubbornness, after we believed, after we're, we're saved by His mercy, how quickly do we turn away from the pleasure of Christ to the pleasure of the world? How much do we falter between Christ and pride, comfort? How often do we give in to our lustful desires? God shows us the way to holiness, but we refuse to listen. Oh, how we grieve our Father. We rebel against Him, adulterating our devotion with many idols, undeserving mercy to you and I. How God still extends His love towards us. His love never diminishes. No. No. On the contrary, the more we sin, the more He will continually feel sorry for us. How come? Precisely because it is undeserving mercy. I want to show you a pass, uh, something in the scripture, but perhaps I'll, I'll keep it for a, a little bit longer. But we need to understand that this is the heart of God. That He loves to give and shower His people with undeserving mercy. It says in Psalm 145 verse 8, Yahweh is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. And great in mercy. You see, God may chastise you when you continue in sin. He would discipline his his children, right? And the discipline can feel hard, right? Those of us who have been disciplined by the Lord would agree. And sometimes, and in the heat of the moment, you would say, what's going on? Why is God doing this to me? I thought he's a merciful God. Has he ceased to be merciful? No. He remains to be merciful. In fact, it is his mercy that leads him to discipline you. How? Like a doctor who's compelled by his compassion to cut out an infection of, from your skin. So does God in His mercy wants to heal you and bring you back to Himself. And when He does that and after that, you look back in time and you say, I never deserved God would heal me, even though it was hard. Undeserving mercy. Not only is it undeserving, but it's great mercy. Great mercy. 
Our God is a big God, right? He's got a big heart. There is nothing small about big God. Everything about him is good and great. Because mercy lives in the heart of God. His mercy is as great as he is. It's as infinite as God is. And so it can never diminish because we are so evil. Simply put, ye cannot exhaust the mercy of God. Second Samuel 24 verse 14, David says, I am in great distress. He is a broken man. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. Brothers, remember how much of great sinners we are. Yet our great God has kissed us with great salvation. He granted great forgiveness by offering great sacrifice, namely Jesus Christ. And do you know what this shows? How great his mercy is. Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in love and kindness, which is another word for mercy, to all who call upon you. Great mercy means abundant mercy. It's inexhaustible. God's heart is a, an endless ocean of compassion to sinners. And no amount of sin will be large enough to drain God from His mercy. It is boundless, meaning you can't measure it. It's always overwhelming magnitude of pity to the brokenhearted. Ephesians 2 verse 4, it says that God being rich in mercy. Rich. Meaning it's effective, it's potent remedy to sick, to the sick hearts. It's so sweet and the sweetness of it kills bitter judgment that our sin deserves. Great mercy. Great mercy meaning there is no sin that is so black that the mercy of God would reject. When God is motivated by his mercy, he would say, I feel so terribly sorry for that believer. His sin makes my heart aches for him. So not only do I want to accept him as he is, no, my mercy is so rich, so great. I have abundant pity for his condition. So what do I do? I will shoot him up to the cloud and seat him with Christ in the heavenly places. Abundant mercy, great mercy. Another aspect of this mercy, it's tender. It's soft. It's parental, fatherly, tender mercy. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. 
Psalm 103 verse 13 says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. No child of God in his suffering when he cries out to our merciful father that he doesn't visit him with his loving presence. Through his word when you read the Bible. The inner witness of the spirit. Your father would whisper gently. And remind you. Of his loving care for you. Even when we commit heinous sin. Repeatedly. How do we, how do we feel? We feel guilty right? And when we feel guilty we say. Oh no I can't come back to God now. No way. Why? Well. If I go to him, surely he will never accept me. No way. Forget it. It's too, too much now to bear. Surely he's now angry with me. Brothers, I want to tell you that this can't be any further from the truth. But what do we do when we prolong? What, what do we do when we think these wrong thoughts? We prolong to stay in our sin. And we feel reluctant coming back to him. Well, when Jesus wanted to describe to us the tender mercy of God in Luke 15, remember the story of the prodigal son when he sinned against God, against his father. And then what did he do, the prodigal son? He returned back home in shame. And you can just imagine he would have been very hungry because he only had pig's food to eat. His clothes were filthy. He would have been stinking, sweaty. Probably didn't have a shower for weeks. Shoulders were slouching as he approached his father, feeling utterly unworthy. And Luke 15, 20 says this, But while he was still a long way off, listen to the, and, and pay attention to the heart of his father. His father saw him. He felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Continuing on in verse 22, he says to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best rope. And put it on him. Put a, a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. How exciting is this? How heart moving to know that our God is a tender hearted God. I want to tell you brothers. Those who give up too quick and don't come to God when you're in sin. I want to tell you it is His joy to bring, to bring Him pleasure is to shower His children with mercy far more than we even desire it. He wants you to come to Him far more than you would want Him, want you to come to Him. If that makes sense. Let me read to you Jeremiah 31 verse 20. Look what God says. God here opens the, the bonnet and helps us to understand His love 
for his children to come back to him. He says this, is Ephraim my dear son? Yes, he is. Is he a delightful child? Indeed, as often as I have spoken against him, I certainly still remember him. Then God says this. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. And what God says about Ephraim, he says to all his children. That he finds great joy when we come back home. And God's heart swells with longing. Every fiber of his being calls out for mercy. It yearns for you to come back to your father. No matter how far you've gone into darkness as a child of God. Because God is a father of mercies. He loves it to be merciful to you. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's pleasure to be kind to you. That's what he is. Let me prove it to you. When he came to earth, did he not show compassion by healing the sick and feeding the hungry? He wanted to do that. He desires to do that. And at, at, the, at the cross, was he not gentle? And even now, does he not heal brokenhearted with his loving touch? Even later on, when we die and rise again, we said it before and we said again at the heaven's gate, God will gladly meet us there. He will welcome us home with a handkerchief in his hands. And he will personally wipe away every tear from our eyes. How can we ever doubt that he is not a tender father who loves us to come back to him even after we sin? All right. Everlasting mercy. Again, one, Psalm 136, verse 1 says, Give thanks to Yahweh for He is good, for His loving kindness or mercy is everlasting. It's everlasting. So be comforted, brothers and sisters. Not only the Father is tender mercy and it's just over time it's going to run out. No way. God will never cease to be merciful. It never ceases. The mercy of God is not short-lived. It is not like the general mercy. No, this one is from everlasting to everlasting. Once upon a time, before time was, when there was only God, when there was no sin, no suffering, the mercy of God was there, tucked away in the heart of God. When there was no Tears to wipe, no children battling with sin. For God to comfort, God was still merciful. And even now, even now, because this attribute of God is everlasting, God's mercy will always be our friend. Let me, let me show you a wonderful phrase that we might even overlook. In Jude chapter 2, it says, may the mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Multiplied to you. This is 
a beautiful phrase, but it's a bit complicated because it's compound. But what it really means is that God's desire for us to receive wave upon wave upon another wave of mercy. That's what, it's, that's what Judah's trying to say. This, this is awesome to see the heart of God shown in His desire for His people to continuously receive this life-giving, flowing like a stream of river of mercy. Everlasting. It's saving. It's great. It's affectionate. It's undeserving. It's everlasting. How can we not adore such a God who showers us with that mercy? How can we not do that? How can it not burn within our chest and compels us to go into the highways and the byways, to go home to our unbelieving brothers and sisters and wives and tell them, God is so good. What do you mean? He's so merciful to me. Enjoy that mercy. Do you know how you can enjoy this mercy, brothers and sisters? By sharing it. By sharing it with others. By telling others. By living it out. And the more you live out this kind of mercy, God would say, I'm going to shower you with more. Are there unbelievers among us? Yes, there are. Yes, there are. How do we apply this? <clears throat> Some unbelievers would say in their minds, and we're going to have to continue to repeat this because we know the condition of the uh, old nature is to always go back to their vomit. And no matter how much we teach the truth, there is something internal in the unbeliever that makes him wipe out this truth and goes back to the lie. So let me readdress that misconception where an unbeliever would say, Ah, oh, look, I have to feel holy first so God would accept me. I have to do good works and I have to feel holy and get rid of my pride and get rid of my lust and shake off all sinful relationships before God would accept me. I want to tell you, without the mercy of God, you can do nothing. What you need is not for, for you to be humble and on your own, by your own strength, and then you come to Christ or to God to forgive you. No, you go to God relying on nothing but His mercy alone, nothing in or of yourself but Christ alone and God's mercy to save you. It's great mercy. Great mercy. Jesus doesn't offer you just enough mercy to barely cover your sin. No, it's so immense and overflows. What does this mean? How, 
How would you apply this in your life? I want to be absolutely clear. There is enough mercy in Jesus Christ to cover all of your sins and countless more. Past sins, present sins, future sins, the power of Jesus' blood will never cease. It's the mercy of God that is so abundant that it covers all of your sins. I don't know where you've been. I don't know where you went last night. And it really doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what you have done. You may think that you have sinned greatly. You may even think that you have touched the rock bottom and the very depth of sin. And you may even go so far as to say, my heart is as black as hell itself. There is abundant mercy found in Jesus. More than enough to wash all your sins and cleanse you from your iniquity. There is no sin that is too hard for God to forgive. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ. I pray that this truth would draw you to Christ. I pray that God would use this wonderful, wonderful diamond and pierce your heart this morning. I call upon you if you're an unbeliever. Come to Christ. Tell Him, wash me, cleanse me, keep me. I rely on, not on my good works. No, no. Not what I have done. But I rest totally on your mercy that I want to receive in and through your blood. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, what can we say when we look in one hand there is wrath, terrible, fearsome wrath, and on the other side we see mercy, abundant, rich mercy, undeserving mercy. When we know that at the gates of hell, there is that great big banner says justice. And the gates of heaven, there is a banner that says mercy. How can we not choose the latter? How can we not go to Christ who's full of mercy and call upon him to save us. What would it be that calls us to continually suppress this beautiful truth of the gospel and relentlessly pursue justice 
which would lead us to hell. When this beautiful, glorious Savior extends mercy to us this morning. If any of us, Lord, would choose justice and ends up in hell, there is no one to be blamed by, but him alone. And so we pray, Lord. Open the eyes of unbelievers among us this morning. Let them see how rich and vast and deep your mercy is. Let them fall upon Jesus, relying on nothing but your mercy alone. And like this tax collector who beat his chest and cried out, Have mercy upon me, O God, I'm a sinner. May this heart of the tax collector would echo within this room this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.